morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. Welcome to our online Sunday gathering on YouTube and Facebook. We are so glad to have you with us today. We're going to continue today with the second installment in our new series where we are visiting our new vision and mission and values as a congregation. This is something that we have been working on together for the past several months, and you as a congregation ratified our new mission commitment at the end of January. And so we're taking this opportunity to unpack what some of those statements mean and how they point us towards a new kind of future together. We're glad to have you with us this morning. If you would take the opportunity, it would be good for you to say hello in the comments on Facebook and YouTube and encourage each other. In the meantime, let's just go ahead and center our hearts and our minds right now as we enter into this time of exploring scripture and unpacking the direction that we believe God is leading us in. Would you just join with me in a word of prayer? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to gather safely online. We ask that as we visit our passage of Scripture today, that you would inspire us, that you would breathe your Spirit into us individually and as households and as a congregation to be the kind of church that makes a difference for good in our community. We pray that you would knit us closer together to you and to each other in genuinely loving relationships so that we can work together to accomplish those purposes. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you remember from last week, we're visiting our new vision statement and then beginning to unpack what all of that means for us as a church. Our vision statement is this. It says, our vision is to be a collective expression of inclusive inspiring and impactful Christian spirituality wherever it is needed. And last week we visited that first of those three descriptive words in this vision, which is inclusive. Last week we talked all about why we have a kind of mandate from the Holy Spirit to be an inclusive community. And we visited Acts chapter 10 and talked all about how the Spirit of God is continually moving out into the world and drawing new people into the love and grace and mercy of God. Today we're going to talk about that second word that describes our vision, inspiring. So oftentimes we say that we are an inclusive, inspiring, and impactful church. And so what do we mean by that second word, inspiring? To tackle that today, I want to turn your attention to another chapter in the New Testament. It's Romans chapter 12. Today we're going to visit three sections of Romans chapter 12, and I'm hoping that we can see together how this points us into the direction of a life that is inspired by the Spirit of God. I want to start by looking first at Romans chapter 1 and 2. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, as always, we're going to put the passage right up on the screen. But let's read those first two verses together if you would just join with me. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is 
by far one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. It's one of those passages that really captured me as a young Christian in my 20s, trying to understand the very thing that they're talking about in this passage, trying to understand how to know what the will of God is, how to know where God's going and what God's doing, and how I could follow after God in my life. And so I was captivated by this really powerful language here that begins with this notion that because God is merciful, because God is gracious, that we can come to God and do something as vulnerable as offer our living selves, our whole bodies, our entire lives as a kind of sacrifice to that God. And that idea that God is merciful is really important in this passage. It's carrying a lot of meaning and a lot of weight because prior to this, in the, in the chapters leading up to Romans chapter 12, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's the author of this letter, has gone to great lengths to unpack that these notions of God as a kind of cruel, punishing dictator in the sky are entirely the wrong-headed perceptions of who God is. And we oftentimes have that exact same perception of God even today, that if there is a God, that that God is some sort of dictator in the sky who is all-powerful and that demands certain things of us, that that God demands certain thoughts or certain behaviors, or that that God demands certain attitudes from us. And if we don't give those correct and proper attitudes and thoughts and behaviors to God, then that great God in the sky is just waiting to punish us. But Paul dispenses with that notion of God and instead unpacks in theological detail that God is extravagantly merciful and gracious. And that one concept alone, I think that if many people in our world could come to grips with the idea that this person that we refer to as God is the embodiment, the personification of goodness, not evil, the personification of welcome and mercy, not the personification of judgment and condemnation, then we could solve an awful lot of problems in our society. And so Paul begins his sort of shift from unpacking this merciful God to then in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, shifting to what the, what the logical consequences of that are. If this God is merciful, then he says, verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, because of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And what happens when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, Paul says, is that we are transformed. That our minds are completely renewed and transformed into something new. In other words, something new is born in us when we give ourselves wholeheartedly to a God who is gracious and merciful. This is reminiscent of other things that you've heard in Scripture. For example, when Jesus tells Nicodemus, that he must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, then that's reminiscent of this language that when we give ourselves over to God, that we are born again in a new way, or Paul says our minds are completely renewed and transformed. And it's also, I think, reminiscent of the original creation story. If you think back to Genesis chapter 2, which is actually the second creation story 
that we have. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, you'll see there a very brief little uh, depiction of the creation of mankind. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says this, And then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The same sort of thing that's happening that Paul's describing in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, is what happens in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God takes the elements of the earth, he forms man and forms woman, he breathes into their nostrils, and the very Spirit of God becomes their very life. They're transformed from inanimate material, dumb stuff that's dug out of the earth, and then suddenly enlivened by the Spirit of God, which is life itself. And that actually is exactly what the word inspired means. Inspired literally means breathed into. And sometimes when we think about that word, we talk about you know, writers who are inspired or painters who are inspired or maybe even scientists in the laboratory who are inspired. Sometimes we use that word flippantly as though inspired just means that they had a good idea. But that word inspired actually has this very notion of divine intervention into it. This idea that something other than us, something outside of us, something bigger and greater and more good and more merciful and more gracious than us suddenly enters into us like breath being breathed in to our very souls. And that then creates something entirely new. And so when we say that a writer or an artist or a scientist is inspired, we're not saying something pedestrian or banal. We're saying that God has literally inspired the creation of something new and something good. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 is literally a new creation story. When we go to God, knowing that God is good, and we give ourselves vulnerably over to that God in worship, the Spirit of God is breathed into us and we're made brand new again. That is part of what we mean by the word inspired, that we want to be a collective expression of people who are inspired by God. But of course, there is more to it, I think, than that. We often tend to think about these things as strictly individual realities, but Paul goes on in Romans chapter 12, and unpacks the logical and communitarian outcomes of living in this kind of inspired life. Look at with me at Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Paul picks it up here and he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Look at verse 4. For as one body we has many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually we are members one of another. And then he goes on, verse 6, to say, We have gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhorting, and so on. Paul goes on to unpack all the different roles and giftings 
and functions in the church. And what Paul is essentially saying here is that our ability to work together to accomplish God's will, to accomplish God's good purposes in our own lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our own church, in our city, our ability to organize ourselves and do anything good is empowered and enlivened by that same inspiration, that same breathing of God into our bodies so that we are empowered to do the impossible. What's the impossible? The impossible is human beings working and collaborating together without destroying each other. That's what we mean by organizing in some fashion. That's what we're all trying to accomplish when we come together and we seek to do what God has called us to do. Paul reveals that that very work, the work of the church and the work that you do beyond the walls of the church, is only possible because the Spirit of God has filled you and gifted you and empowered you to do it, not by yourself, but in cooperation with other people. So we are not just birthed in this kind of intimate relationship with God where we breathe in the Spirit of God. God breathes God's Spirit into us. We're not just birthed in inspiration but we are organized relationally and in inspiration as well. All of this is a very relational dynamic. It begins with our relationship with that God who is good and merciful and then extends to our relationships with each other where we work together and cooperate to do God's work. And that's why our second stated value as a church is relational spirituality. That's what we mean by that. We mean that we are people living inspired lives who have been birthed in relationship with God and we continue in relationship with each other. That is literally our spirituality. Our, sp our spirituality is not about doctrines or rules or creeds or beliefs or defining who is in and who is out. Our spirituality is not judgment and condemnation. It's not hatred and division. Our spirituality is our relationships with each other inspired by the Spirit of God. And Paul goes on to, to further flesh out what the interpersonal outworking of this is. Right here in Romans chapter 12, we'll pick it up here in verse 9. He continues on to describe what the quality of life is in a community of people who are living this kind of inspired life. Verse 9 says this, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. He's covering the whole gamut of our relationships together. Paul essentially is boiling down Christian spirituality to one word, and that is love. And that word love and mutual respect and care and concern fleshes itself out literally in our lives together in all of these different ways. As an expression of humility towards one another, as an expression of care and concern and prayer, as hospitality. Later on in these passages, 
Paul quotes Jesus and says that it even manifests itself as love for our enemies. This is what it looks like to live an inspired life, a life of relational spirituality that is committed to love and the care and the concern for each other and for our neighborhoods and for our city before we are concerned about other matters. That is what we hold to, an inspired life that is deeply committed to our relationships together. Now, I love this word inspired because it conjures up the notion that this sort of life where we are literally being inspired to live it because the breath of some other great, good, merciful being is meeting us in a supernatural way and filling us with God's Spirit, that that kind of life is more like an art than a science. We use that word inspiration more often to describe artistic endeavors than we do to describe sort of scientific endeavors, right? So when we're pursuing science, uh, there is, of course, inspiration involved, but we tend to think of controlled environments and tedious procedures and careful note-taking so that we can control the outcomes and understand what's going on. But when we talk about artists, we really are trying to capture this mysterious thing that happens when you're trying to produce something new and good and you can't control it and you can't make it happen when you want it to happen. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a flash of inspiration comes, and what comes out of that is something bigger and greater and more beautiful than you ever thought was possible. That's sort of the story of the artist, that there is this agonizing birthing that seems to come from somewhere else. I love the way one of my favorite writers, Lewis Hyde, describes this very dynamic in his book called The Gift. He says, inspiration could be called inhaling the memory of an act never experienced. I love the way he defines that because I think he's capturing the reality that when we are inspired, that when that spirit from somewhere else enters into us and produces something new and beautiful and good, that it is way beyond our own intelligence, it's way beyond our own capacity to create. It's way beyond our ability to even understand. There is something mysterious at work when we come together and we trust that the creator of the universe is good and merciful enough that we can give ourselves to that spirit and something new and beautiful is birthed. In that way, I think Christian spirituality is more of an art than a science, because what we are doing together is we are coming before the master artist, the master creator, giving ourselves to that artist and asking that something new and beautiful would be made. That's what we are trying to do at the Oceanside Sanctuary, become a kind of people who know how to lean in to that spirit of goodness and grace and mercy so that something new and beautiful can be born in us all the time. I have a couple questions for you as usual. Uh, for those of you who are at home, as you are absorbing this, as you're meditating on Romans chapter 12, as you're thinking about the ways that God has inspired you in your life, my first question is, when do you feel most inspired by the Spirit of God? What is it that you're doing? 
For, for some of you, it might very well be in church. When you show up at church, and I know we haven't done this for a while, but you show up in a room full of other people and they are giving their voices and their hearts and their minds to reflecting and inhaling, like Lewis Hyde says, the spirit of something good. For many people, that is when they feel most inspired by God. For other people, it's something else. For other people, you feel most inspired by God when you're out in nature, when you're hiking through the hills or you're uh, surfing waves at the beach or when you're walking through the forest. And in those moments, absorbing and inhaling the created order, maybe that is when you feel most inspired by God. Or, or maybe it's when you are creating. Maybe it's when you are acting as a kind of artist, when that spirit is flowing through you in ways that you really can't explain. Whatever it is, my question is, when do you feel most inspired by God? There's no wrong answer to this question. You are inspired by God when you are doing what God is leading you to do and producing good things. My second question is, how does that, that sense of being inspired, that sense of connecting with the Spirit of God, how does that empower you for more loving relationships? Because that really is the purpose. That's how I read Paul in Romans chapter 12. That's how I read Jesus throughout the Gospels. That's how I read the entire narrative of the Bible, that the ultimate purpose of all of this is that we would be formed into new creations, that we would become people who are able to love just as graciously and generously and mercifully as God is. And so if that thing that's inspiring you isn't producing love in your life, if it isn't producing better loving relationships, then maybe you're not experiencing genuine inspiration. And I don't say that to condemn what you're doing. I say that to invite you into maybe new activities that will connect you to that sense of inspiration. Whatever your answer to those two questions are, I just want to encourage you maybe to share it with some other folks. Maybe uh, tell your partner at home or your friends or maybe colleagues somewhere, or maybe even be bold enough to pop into the chat on Facebook or YouTube and let us know what your answer to those questions are. I just want to ask you to encourage each other as you engage with answering those questions and help each other to be inspired by God's presence. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today and for this opportunity for us to come before your scripture and to come together as a church and to turn our hearts and minds to you so that we can breathe in your spirit and be inspired to create something new and good and beautiful. We pray that you would uh, help us to attend to that act of worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, good morning, everybody. My name is CJ, and I've got a few quick announcements here for you uh, this morning. First of all, if you're new to these online gatherings, welcome. We would love to know you're out there when you're ready and how you came across the Oceanside Sanctuary, and if you have any questions. And the easiest way to get in touch with us is through the OceansideSanctuary.org website backslash contact and that will put you in touch with our team and our staff. Hashtag Black History Month has been the theme all month long. And our anti-racism team here at Oceanside Sanctuary has done an amazing job of highlighting black individuals. If you haven't had a chance to see this or check it out, 
Um, this is a great time. Maybe you haven't been on social media as much lately, but this is a great opportunity to be encouraged and celebrate Black History Month. You can find that on all the social media accounts for the Oceanside Sanctuary, as well as the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash blog portion of the, web the website to see those daily updates that were happening. Today, right after church, it's coffee and Zoom. It's a great chance to hang out, see some friends that you haven't seen in a while, maybe meet somebody new, talk about things that are going on. Once again, that is today at 10 a.m., right after the service. The link for the coffee and Zoom is right here below on the screen, as well in the comments section uh, below. You can simply click on that and it will take you directly to that coffee and Zoom hangout to that time today. Uh, right after the online gathering. Uh, coming up on March 4th at 6.30 p.m., we've got our book club. The title is called Walking the Bridgeless Canyon by Kathy Baldock. This is gonna be an amazing uh, study together, time for some great conversation. Um, repairing the breach between the church and the LBGTQ community, Baldock uncovers the historical, cultural, medical and political filters of discrimination through which the LGBT community has seen. With a foundational context firmly established, she examines the most controversial filter of all, what the Bible says about same-sex behavior. Once again, that's coming up on March 4th at 6.30 p.m. I think you'll enjoy that. For more information, go to the website backslash calendar. And finally, the Oceanside Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and survives on gifts and donations from those who believe in the values and the mission and the direction of this amazing church. To give, you can go to the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash give, and that will give you more information on how to get that going. And I know our staff would always love to answer any questions that you may have about giving. Hope you're all doing well. Continue to stay, stay uh, safe and healthy and have an amazing week.